You are listening to the Nanuet Golden Knights Principles Podcast with your host, Dr. Kevin McCahill. Okay, welcome to uh, the Principles Podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. Kevin McCahill. I'm podcasting to you from G.W. Miller Elementary School in Nanuet, New York. Uh, proud to say this is our fourth podcast, and I am super excited to introduce our special guest for today. Um, she's actually here today wearing two hats. Um, Dr. Sarah Chauncey is the Nanuet School Board President, as well as um, she is a teacher in the field. Dr. Chauncey graduated from Syracuse University School of Information Studies in 2012, where she received her doctorate in information management. Um, she is also presently the Rockland Bosey's Library Media Specialist, Data Analyst, and Staff Developer. Um, so welcome, Dr. Chauncey, to our principal podcast. Thank you for having me, and I, I feel honored. I've been listening to your podcasts, and they're great. So I feel honored to be one of your um, speakers here today. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, so we're going to get started. Um, okay, so uh, you know, as I mentioned in our intro, uh, Dr. Chauncey is both a, uh, a public school board member, longtime board member, as well as a library library media specialist. So we're going to have sort of a dual questionnaire here um, for for both of the hats that she's wearing. So we're going to start off um, coming from the lens of the library media specialist. My first question is: How have libraries, um, and I'm calling them libraries but I know they are shifting over to more media, you know, media centers, different types of space. How have the libraries um, and your job changed over the past few years since technology is changing so rapidly? How has that affected the library? That's a great question because in 2004, I asked the same question. Uh, I had been working as a computer consultant for over 20 years in Manhattan. I was working for brokerage companies, insurance companies, and banks. And um, when my second child was born, I decided I'd like to stay in Rockland County. And I thought I'd get back into public education. I had been a teacher before I started consulting. So I thought I could combine my technical expertise, my business expertise, uh, with my commitment to public education as a library media specialist. And the fall of 2004, I did get my first job. I was very excited. And I'll just tell you a little story about that first day on the job. So I walked into the library, and there was a large desk in the middle of the room. It was a little bit stuffy. The books were old. Um, there was no technology. And I sat down and I thought, oh boy, what have I gotten myself into? And so I began opening drawers in the desk because I thought I might find a clue to my question, what do librarians do these days? And I found a file box and opened it and it had some index cards in it. And it was a list of magazines with little check marks each month. So if a magazine arrived, I imagine that librarian would check off uh, the check boxes, and I found that in September and October and November, every month was checked. So I decided that, and I thought of this as an, my first executive decision, that I wasn't going to worry about the magazines. I just chucked the box into the garbage can, and um, I thought, okay, I have to figure out what a library is going to look like today myself. So I started bringing my world into the library. Within a year, my students were blogging, producing podcasts and videos, collaborating on inquiry projects, and so on. And by the second year, I had one-to-one -one computing in the library. So remember, that was uh, beginning of 2005. 
Right. That's and early. I, that's early in the curve here to be to be doing those things with students in 2005 no right but I didn't know that yeah I mean yeah. I had been you know this was normal for me right so um, I then found that I didn't have anywhere to put things the students were producing I didn't have a way to communicate with students so I created my own system I actually built a product called digital pencil uh, that allowed students to work on projects in a web-based space uh, they could work at home I could monitor what they were doing I could give them feedback in real time and because all of this was typical in the work I'd been doing in the private sector, again, I didn't realize it was anything out of the ordinary. So you fast forward to 2016, and we're really all this in this together now. Mm-hmm. So we're no longer in awe of technology, or we shouldn't be. You know, you think of the cloud, robots, drones, 3D printers, augmented reality, virtual reality, virtual worlds, massive online multiplayer gaming spaces, transmitter storytelling, and... We get it. Yes. Um, so we've kind of gotten beyond the wow factor. And that means we can start leveraging technology to achieve student, school, and district goals, to solve problems, and to begin working collaboratively. So I really think of citizen science, crowdsourcing, smart cities, and producing and consuming content and products now, but all um, in an effort to help students learn and to be productive. And the other thing I found is we have to, you know, really be attentive to what Gartner calls the hype cycle. Mm -hmm. A new technology hits, we suddenly get excited about it, and we think it's going to just answer all of our questions, and it starts, um, you know, peaking, and we realize that those expectations aren't going to be met. So our feeling about the technology kind of falls a bit, and then it rises again and plateaus. Right. So, and that happens with everything, not just technology. Sometimes somebody brings us a great idea, someone knows how to solve a problem or how we should be doing something. We get all excited and we try it. And again, we go through that cycle. And um, so what I found is that, you know, if we can be even keeled, if we look at continuous improvement, if we make technology work for us, for instance, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't throw out the things we know work, Books are still important, Um, digital, hard copy books, uh, then we can do a better job with our students. Right, right. Okay. Um, I mean, really, just to to reflect on the question, how have libraries changed over the past few years? You just gave us a brief uh, synopsis of, uh, you know, a decade of shifting from, you know, boy, I think back to Dewey Decimal System to all of the technology advancements that you just mentioned there. So a library media specialist needs to be somewhat proficient in a lot of the things that you just mentioned, um, be sort of weary of um, hype that, that may not be necessarily the new, you know, golden ticket to, to all of education, and at the same time um, respecting some of the traditions of a library, like the book resources and the other uh, more traditional things that we use to support children. So it sounds like um, a very complex uh, job, and you're also bringing you back down as a teacher. You're also managing students and managing behavior and collaborating with homeroom teachers and bringing your lessons from the library into the classroom the best way you can support the, the classroom teachers in the school as well. So um, without a doubt, a very complex job. Um, some of the things that you discussed um, bring student learning to sort of that virtual world in terms of blogging, podcasting, researching the cloud. Um, but there's also a physical piece 
to learning that is shifting in public education. Literally, the brick and mortar of schools are being busted open. Um, I just had a chance with um, our tech director to go up to Chappaqua to Horace Greeley to see what they've done in their school. Uh, and their their library media center is now, you know, it looks like Google has start, has opened up a part of their branch in their high school. Um, we're doing that here in Nanuet. We're proud to say that, um, you know, in all of our schools. Um, you know, wh- what do you think about this? Um, why do you think that this is happening in schools um, and they're centering it on the library and seeing if they can make the library the hub or the heart of a learning school? Well, there's a few things I'll share on that. Um, First of all, if you think of all the spaces in the school, the only one that exists fully outside of the school are libraries. You're not likely to find a classroom space once you leave school. Classrooms, you know, exist in schools. Yet a library in some way mirrors and reflects a real space in our world outside of school. And it's almost a conduit. What I, I can work in a library here. So public libraries are changing in the mm-hmm. same way that school libraries are changing. So you're seeing that same kind of thing. Yet, um, when we think about these learning commons or global learning commons where people come together, they begin conversing, they start collaborating around projects and problems, this has been happening for hundreds of years. And again, it gets back to, and I, I, I decided to look up the, uh, where did learning commons, where does it come from? Where did it all begin? And it, that, for me, is always fun, you know, getting in and looking for these things. So um, it really goes back to the village green, or common, which was traditionally a place to graze livestock, stage a festival, or meet neighbors. So the idea of mixing socialization with work is carried forward into the learning commons in schools, K through university. So commons are flexible environments built to accommodate multiple types of learning, collaboration, and what we call making activities. Mm -hmm. And the same thing we would do outside of school with our neighbors and um, in business. And it also encourages us to invite the outside world in. Years ago, I started a site called Skype an Author, Mm -hmm. and uh, there are over 300 authors on that site now where schools can go in and for a very minimal charge, bring an author into the classroom via Skype so that students can communicate and collaborate around um, books. And again, I did that back in 2004 or 5. It was uh, very early on, Mm -hmm. and it continues on today. So, um, you know, the idea of a commons and opening the space up, I think, mirrors what's happening outside of school. Right, right. Connecting with the community. And here in Nanuet, to give a shout out to our public library here, uh, it's a fantastic public library. And, um, you know, it's such, it is the heart of um, of the community. And for those community members who have not gone to the library, I would highly recommend that you take your children to the library um, and connect with that that piece because um, just behind that are going to be all of our libraries and our schools that we would love to invite community members into our school libraries more often. I mean, right. is, that, uh, is that a realistic thought that going forward our school libraries will exist as a community service? and not just a part of our sort of, you know, nine-period day? Some of our libraries do, and there have been schools who have tried to keep libraries open beyond the school day. 
Some of it is logistics. If you can have an external an entrance to the school that closes off the rest right. of the school and there's a way to support that, it would, it's certainly great for families who don't have access. Uh, it should complement what's happening in the library, and there might be um, people working in a school library who can support students in other ways that can't be supported in libraries who are dealing with a whole public. Right. Um, but And I'd also say that um, the idea of the learning commons and opening spaces extends to something I'm very interested in, and that's called smart cities. And so smart cities are about bringing people together in an urban environment and sometimes suburban environments to solve problems. So what they're doing is reaching out to people in all sectors, whether you be artistic, whether you be a banker, and pulling these people together to look at problems, get creative, become innovative, and technology is, again, the tool they use to make all that happen. So I think what we're doing at Nanuet is very, very exciting to me. And I am just waiting to see the plans and to see it happening and to see how our students take to it and our our teachers. It will change us Yes, because spaces change how we behave. Agreed, agreed. Um, and, and since you mentioned that, um, the connection between the library and the teachers, and you also just mentioned in your last statement that we are shifting more to a problem-solving um, educational service rather than um, an, a knowledge finding. So libraries used to be you find stats about things. You can look up resources to find what president was that year. And now, you know, we all have the answers mm-hmm. right in our hand. Um, but we're looking to use information to solve problems without a doubt. So um, being a media specialist within a school and the complexities of a school, um, how would you, um, what kind of advice would you give, you know, your school leader, whether that be your principal, um, the department chairs, what advice would you give um, an educational leader in order to uh, best utilize um, or connect a library media specialist with the teachers in the classrooms? Again, a really good question. Um, So I think there's great potential for the library media specialist to contribute to the mission and vision and goals of a school. And the principal can make or break the connections and um, how that library media specialist is used. So I brought you something today, Kevin. All right. (laughs) It's called a pre-service toolkit for principals and teachers, just published last month. Thank you very much. And that's published by the American Association of School Libraries. And it includes all types of information so that people understand what can a library media specialist contribute to the school community. Mm -hmm. And there are many studies in there. But it's really important that library isn't a place you just go once a week or twice a week for 45 minutes and leave. And a good library media specialist, and most of the ones I've met are good because they they wouldn't be in the field if they weren't really eager to help. They are helpers, and they want to work with teachers. They want to extend the reach of the library beyond those 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And introducing them to the teachers, making them part of professional development, having them lead professional development, and be seen as uh, teachers, leaders, um, facilitators. It's so important because you'll also find that many library media specialists can be quiet. They can be sometimes reserved in marketing themselves. 
So part of this transforming libraries has been to encourage library media specialists to market themselves. Yeah. And I think that's happening much more right now. Yeah, yeah. And principals can help. Principals right. can help right. as well. And it's, it, it's organic. A library will grow organically. It's um, you feed something in, you're going to get a lot out, and then it's a, it's kind of cyclical. No two libraries will look the same. Right, right. Nor should they. Nor should right. they. Yep. Just like two classrooms. Exactly. Look the same. Um, okay. Um, so, kind of a fun a fun final question uh, here. Um, your favorite books as a as a librarian, a media specialist, technology guru. Um, I'm interested in your favorite books recommendations. Elementary, middle school, high school. Uh, what, what, are your, what are your recommendations? Okay, so this would be a really sore point in my house because I get a delivery of books almost every other day, and I will buy books before I will buy clothes and food even. I've been known <laughs> to forget to go to the grocery store, but absolutely stop at Barnes & Noble on the way home. Um, so I love books, and I have so many books. But today I wanted to just focus on three books at the different levels you mentioned. And these books touch on innovation and creativity and persistence. So the first one is a more an elementary level called The Most Magnificent Thing. And it's about a young girl who has an idea to create something. Uh, she's trying to get from idea to product, but realizes it isn't as easy as it looks. <laughs> and her dog is um, seeing that she's getting frustrated and encourages her to take him for a walk. And while she's walking, the solution comes to her, she goes back, and she's able to create her idea. Okay. The second one is Galileo's uh, Leaning Tower experiment, uh, where he teams up with a young boy to investigate science, the science of motion. And I really like that book because it shows cross-generational -gener partnerships, mm -hmm. and sometimes we do have to um, encourage that kind of adults working with kids because you're going to find some interesting things happen. Mm -hmm. Kids don't have uh, closed minds about what's possible. Yeah. And many ideas really come from kids who haven't solidified their idea or categorized things too much yet. Yeah. So I, I just kind of like that book for that reason. And the final one is The Boy Who Harnesses the Wind. And that's uh, a village is threatened with a drought, and William has to find a way to pump water out of the ground. And this is, again, a true story of a young boy who, um, you know, creates windmills in his village and a wonderful book um, about what young people can do to make a difference in the world. Great. That's fantastic. Um, okay, yeah, just a quick point on, on the second book recommendation, the Galileo's Leaning Tower Experiment, where um, different generations um, are working together, equally helping each other. I think that's, that's really perfect for our conversation about a library media uh, area um, because teachers um, who've been in the field a long time, um, older generation teachers or older generation librarians working with uh, middle school, elementary, or high school age students, they're probably going to see that if technology is the format, they're going to learn as much from the students as the students are going to learn from them because mm -hmm. the technology advancements have been so quick and fast yeah. in, the, in the past five years that they're really, they're becoming the, the professionals. They're becoming the, you know, the experts in a lot of the technology advancements and we can learn a whole lot from them as well. Yeah, and what's great about kids is you'll put a new technology in front of a student and even a young student, and they'll just 
start playing with it. They don't need an instruction manual, whereas teachers, some, still seem a little shy. They don't want to touch it. They don't want to. They want instructions, mm -hmm. and they want to do it step by step, whereas a kid will walk in and just start messing around and, 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 and eventually just, just get it working. Get it going. It, right. you, yeah, you they're know, not linear going. anymore, right? And, 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 you know, even though I'm older, I, I'm a kid in that way. Yeah. I, I just play. Right. That's I like a cool to part of teaching, right? Yeah. Um, okay, Dr. Chauncey, thank you so much for your time. For our audience, stay tuned to part two of our time with Dr. Chauncey. She's going to take off her library media specialist hat and put on her board of ed um, president. And uh, before we leave you for this part, just want to say, please go to www.frictionlesslearning.org. Um, Dr. Chauncey um, has a blog website there with tons of fabulous information on there. Dr. Chauncey, thank you so much. Don't go far. We'll be back. Thank you.